You know when you search for something on Netflix, what you get is only a fraction of what they really have? The streaming service actually has more than 18,000 titles globally, but only about 6,000 of those are available in the good old US of A. That means you're missing out on literally thousands of great shows. Unless, of course, you use ExpressVPN. ExpressVPN is an app that lets you change your online location, protecting your devices from unwanted snooping and allowing you to control where streaming services and other websites think you're located. There are over 100 different locations to choose from, which means you have access to thousands of new shows and movies no matter where you live. This doesn't just work with Netflix, it works with Disney+, Hulu, Max, a UK streamer called BBC iPlayer, and more. I was on a work trip in the UK during the final season of Game of Thrones, and I tried logging into my HBO account to watch a new episode, but the technology wouldn't let me because of geoblocking. And I wish I had this app at that moment, because I now realize how incredibly easy it is to work around that problem. Here's a more recent example. It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia is not streaming on Netflix in the US, but I just fired up the episode where Dennis tries to have a peaceful mental health day, and technology keeps interrupting his plans. All I had to do was open ExpressVPN, connect to a UK server, refresh Netflix, and the show just popped up. It's super easy. I've also heard good things about that show called Billions, but I've never been a Showtime subscriber, so I've never seen it. But it's actually available right now on Netflix in South Korea, and with ExpressVPN, it took five seconds to switch over and start checking it out. With ExpressVPN, you get high-quality streaming from devices like your phone, laptop, tablet, and TV, and crucially, it protects your privacy and security to keep your information safe from hackers. Stop missing out on great TV and get thousands of new shows with ExpressVPN. We got them to give you all three extra months free when you use our special link, expressvpn.com slash slash film. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slash film to get three extra months completely free. For the ones who know safety isn't a catchphrase, it's a culture. And the ones who help make sure everyone makes it home safe. For the safety-minded who watch everyone's backs, Granger offers supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as safety assessments and training to keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Wednesday, September 28th, 2022. On today's episode, we're going to have a spoiler filled discussion about. Andor episode four. This is Slash Film editorial director Peter Soretta. And joining me on today's podcast is Slash Film editor Brad Oman. Hey, that's me. And Star Wars expert Brian Young. I'm just delighted to be here. Okay, guys. Uh, brief thoughts on episode four of Andor. I'll start things off. Uh, this feels way different than the first three episodes. It almost feels like these three episode arcs should almost have been released as like made for TV movies or something. I don't know. They, it feels um, I'm liking it. I love the idea of a heist. I feel like when, when we learned the idea of what rogue one was going to be, I thought that was going to be more of a heist. And this sounds like it's going to uh, scratch the itch that I was looking for uh, when I first heard the, the snob, you know what the, the premise was for rogue one. Um, I like that there's so much like tension here with this this group that doesn't trust Andor. Uh, we can get into it. And uh, oh, also this episode, finally, after three episodes of basically not mentioning anything in Star Wars canon, this episode has characters that we've seen in Star Wars canon. It mentions planets from Star Wars canon. I'm not going to say it's like an Easter egg fest like Mando, and I'm not saying this is a good thing either. But it's just interesting that all of a sudden, after like three episodes of like every single thing that they mention is not something, you know, we've seen or heard before, uh, that the, finally there, you know, uh, there's mentions of some of the galaxy that we know. Uh, Brian, what are your thoughts on episode four? Uh, I definitely think this was a shift in gears. And I'm really on board for the political drama involving Mon Mothma and, and a lot of what we talked about last week about how kind of. I thought Tony Gilroy's touchstones were more Sidney Lumet and and Patty Shayevsky. The scenes with Mon Mothma really bring those bring that to like the front. And um, I think the the strongest thing about the show is just like the 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 dialogue and the acting that brings that high drama to it. And this really delivered in spades. I really like this episode. Um, it definitely feels like you said, you know, kind of the first episode in like a new arc where we're beginning a new storyline and we're seeing how 
uh, and or fits into this new group of people, a lot of new characters. Um, I, I do also enjoy the the Star Wars heist feel of it. Not, not that we haven't really seen like Star Wars heists, you know, before, because uh, it feels like there's at least, you know, one yeah. in almost every movie um but uh and obviously mando has a bunch of that too so it's but uh you know i, I like the idea of um digging into the the rebel alliance as it's it's growing here we're, we're really get this is where we get even more of a vibe of just how how much of a lack of trust there is between people how desperate the situation is um you know everyone's on edge because andor is this new person coming into the group uh and then even the stuff between um, Stellan Skarsgård's character and uh, and Mon Mothma, you know, there's this you know level of paranoia there and worry that anybody could be listening at any given time. And it's also cool just to see, you know, this uh, this transformation uh, again for Stellan Skarsgård's character of just how the length he's going to to keep any potential suspicion away from you know being part of this this rising band of of rebels. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, as Brian said last week, the show is being done in three episode arcs. So this is the first part of the second of four arcs of season one that will span one year of time. Uh, the, uh, I guess, uh, five years before the battle of Yavin. And then the next season is going to span four years over the, the course of the season. Um, so this episode is directed by Susanna White who is a British film and television director who has been working almost as long as I've been alive uh, since 1985. She, she directed the Jane Eyre BBC miniseries, which got her nominated for an Emmy. She directed episodes of HBO's Generation Kill, Boardwalk Empire, Masters of Sex, uh, Billions, uh, and the movie uh, Nanny McPhee in The Big Bang. She's more known for her TV work than film work, but she's done some films. Uh, the other thing uh, I wanted to note is this episode is written by Dan Gilroy, who uh, wrote and directed Nightcrawler, a uh, film that I actually really love, uh, uh, Kong Skull Island, Born Legacy, and he did the story for Real Steel in the fall. Uh, but... I think this is interesting because wasn't it originally reported that Tony Gilroy wrote all the episodes of season one or am I incorrect there? Because I think, I think it was announced that he was like the showrunner and that he was writing. My guess is he was running this like a writer's room or something, right? Yeah. yeah. Well, it looks like Dan Gilroy wrote, uh, all, all three of, uh, the next, you know, this episode four five and six, I should say Dan Gilroy, uh, had the lead on that one. So, so that's interesting. Um, okay, let, let's, let's get into this. So, uh, Cassian, by the way, I'm going to break this up guys, because I, I think instead of, uh, cutting back, back and forth between the storylines, I think it probably makes more sense for us to discuss it in, uh, their own silos, if that makes sense. So, um, so we'll start with, uh, Cassian and Luthen. Uh, they have escaped in Luthen's spacecraft and, uh, I like that Luthen has like this navigation. Brian, would it be wrong to call it a droid? Um, no, and in the subtitles it says that it's the a Fondor, uh, like a Fondor navigation droid, something like that. Um, the ship is a Fondor hallcraft, actually, and Fondor has some significance in the in the, the section. But yeah, this droid is is sort of like this navigation assist or something, maybe. Maybe like what L3 would have been in Solo had she been able to keep her consciousness or something. Yeah, but it, uh, it has more of a physical being. Like, I feel like L3 is now just like in the computer, right? Yeah, but this yeah. has like this eyeball like or this uh, globe thing that has like different lenses on it. I'm not sure what the purpose of it is, but I like the design of it. And you mentioned Fondor. Uh, tell us about Fondor. Yeah, Fondor. We've seen Fondor in quite a few places. Um Fondor, uh, there's a pretty significant battle at the Fondor shipyards in Battlefront 2. It was first mentioned in James Lucino's um, James Lucino's Tar James Lucino's Tarkin book, and a lot of the groundwork that that sort of leads into Rogue One came from a lot of James Lucino's work, uh, including Catalyst and stuff. Um, so they're they're sort of tying those things together. But Fondor was yeah, just like a major ship construction area for the empire and 
you know, they sort of lose it in Battlefront and in the Squadrons game. Yeah. The only thing I know about Fondor, I think there's like a drink at Ogus Cantina in Galaxy Said called Fondor Fizz, maybe? Fondor something. Anyways, that's the only thing I know about Fondor. <laughs> uh but okay anyways uh back into it cassian is bleeding on luther luthan's floor so uh he gives him a swig of mednog which i think is new to uh star wars because i did a search and i couldn't find anything about that and uh while he cleans up with some med packs which isn't new to star wars that's been there uh so luthan is offering cassian the opportunity to Put a real stick in the eye of the Empire, he says, and get paid for it. But Cassian isn't there to join a guerrilla movement. He's there to take care of himself and no one else. And uh, you're seeing more of what the, I guess, his arc is going to be over the series. Uh, Andor mentions that he was forced to the age of 16 to fight for the Empire. And one one of was one of only 50 people who survived that fight but luthan knows the truth he was a cook he ran uh he knows much about more about andor than i think cassian thinks he knows and uh brian wh- where that that planet where he fought we've heard of that before we've seen it actually too so he said he spent two years in the mud uh on mimban and mimban is where han solo was stationed uh in solo at the beginning when he first meets beckett and the crew that mud planet where he and actually first meets chewbacca um and so the idea that cassian andor and han solo could could have conceivably been there at the same time is really fun to think about yeah okay so uh i just want to say guys how i i'm probably going to say this every episode but uh stone scars guard it's just so good like he his conviction it just elevates every scene he's in and i i'm just loving him um luthan uh didn't come up uh didn't come for the star path unit he actually came for andor which i think is actually very important to mention because i think it shows last episode they kind of laid out how important that star path unit could be to a rebellion and the fact that Luthen sees much more value in Andor, I think, says a lot about the value of Andor to this movement. Well, we know we know what that ends up uh, being worth, at least by A New Hope. What do you mean? Oh, yeah, because of the events of Rogue One, you're saying? Yeah, I mean, yeah. like, Cassian's obviously vital. Like, there would be no rebellion after A New Hope were it not for Cassian and the stuff he does. Yeah. So Luthen makes his pitch. He wants to employ Andor for a five-day mission with big stakes and big danger, and he'll pay him 200,000 credits. Uh, the heist is for the quarterly payroll for the entire Imperial, for an entire Imperial site, uh, which ends up not being true. But... Uh, well, it, so, it, is, it is true, but it's just more complicated. Yeah, it's more complicated. Yeah, that, that's a good way of saying it. So, and with that, we cut to the Imperial Security Bureau on Coruscant. And uh, this is the first time in this show that we're actually seeing a planet from uh, previous Star Wars canon. So I think that's interesting to note. Um, we see this like uh, Imperial Security Boardroom meeting which is exactly as dry as you could imagine it to be. Have we ever seen the ISB before in the movies or TV shows? Uh, Yeah. Like uh, go back to a new hope. And there is in the death star boardroom, uh, Wolf Yularen uh, in an ISB white uniform uh, right there in a new hope. And he's been sort of from the legends continuity forward from the mid eighties, I think considered Imperial security bureau. Um, we've had a, other ISB adventures with um, Star Wars Rebels. Agent Callus was was part of the ISB, and and Yularen, who was a major character in Clone Wars in the Imperial Navy or the Republic Navy, um, reprises his role and sort of has moved into the ISB in Rebels. Uh, there's a lot of stuff with Yularen 
in the Thrawn books as well and as part of that intrigue of the ISB. So they've been all over the canon, both in the Legends and in the new stuff. And they're basically, yeah, they're they're the the they're the the secret uh, secret police of Palpatine. Yeah. Um, and in the scene, uh, again, like I feel like we've gone three episodes with with no mentions of anything from prior Star Wars canon, but the scene that gives us a lot. There's Ryloth. There's mentions of other uh, places in the galaxy. Uh, do you want to go down them? Yeah. So um, the first one is they talk about squeezing Ryloth more and increasing the detention there. And this is sort of parallel or, or just after maybe less than a decade after the events of Lords of the Sith, which is that uh, that book that Paul S. Kemp wrote about the uh, the free Ryloth movement trying to assassinate Palpatine and Vader. Um, and so these include Cham Syndulla, who's Harris Syndulla's parents uh, or uh, father. And uh, so so seeing that this is still, um, you know, a thing uh, at, at this point and that they're still fighting and that they're ramping up detention. There's really interesting. Another planet that gets mentioned in this scene is Arvala six, which is uh, presumably in the same sector as the planet where the Mandalorian found Grogu, which was Arvala seven. Um, like we were talking about last week, the, you know, sectors and planets and how many there are and, and all that stuff. So it's complicated. Um, yeah, it's complicated. Um, and then the other one that gets mentioned in the scene that's really important is actually about the um, they get they they talk about intelligence, about an increase in construction material heading to Scarif. Um, and I believe, if I'm not mistaken, Scarif is where the final construction of the Death Star was completed. And if you read uh, James Lucino's book Catalyst, there's a lot and, and even some of the stuff with Thrawn in the TIE Defender program, there's definitely um a lot of secrecy around the Death Star. And it's not like an open secret that everyone in, in the Empire knows. And there are definitely intelligence organizations like this that are sort of skirting near the truth about what's actually going on there. Um, John Jackson Miller's A New Dawn kind of covers this a little bit with Dunium shipments um, in that book with Hera and Kanan. And I have no idea why, but I just got like excited putting all these dots together. Um, even though it's like the nerdiest stuff where it's just like ship manifests of crap. That's going to build the death star. I don't know why. Yeah. I mean, I hate to get excited about like, you know, mentions of, of planets and stuff like that, but I do also get that nerdiness of connecting the dots. And well, uh, it's vital to Cassian's story. I think we talked last week about how like, Cassian's story is sort of intertwined, right, with the Death Star from the very beginning. Um, yeah, and and this is this is another one of those connections that Andor is going to sort of have his life intertwined front to back with with how the Death Star affects it, even if he doesn't know it. So the major here, his name's uh, Major Partegas. Uh, he gives a big speech about security being an illusion and compares their job to doctors trying to eradicate an oncoming infection. And, um, the, oh, by this uh, way, this uh, this major guy is played by Anton Lesser, who people probably know from Game of Thrones. Yeah, but he, also, he's been in 130 other things, according to IMDb. So he's been in a lot of stuff. But uh, you'll probably see this. Uh, oh, they've been in Game of Thrones as like a a reoccurring thing with this show. Um, and I want to say he, he's great too. He like absolutely chews up this scene. I, 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 I'm loving him as well in the show. Uh, Brad, what did you think of this whole, uh, ISB sequence? I just like getting this insight, uh, you know, into the empire. It's, it's all very, you know, uh, bureaucratic and just, you know, business as usual kind of stuff for them. But it, it does provide some level of just like the, you know, the authoritarian attitude there is, you know, among everybody. And there's also this intriguing uh, thread here, too, that begins where you're not entirely sure uh, what's going on with one of these um, imperial characters. You know, it's uh, this goes hand in hand with the idea of like, who can you trust? Is this person, you know, really a loyal member of the Empire? Are they working with the the rebellion, you know what what's going on with all, and so it's um 
yeah, it's it's just like a, a cool insight into really how the Empire operates outside of what we've previously seen, uh, just from the eyes of like you know Darth Vader and and the Emperor and those who are closest to them. Yeah, we, we when we first see the outside of the ISB building in on Coruscant, uh, we see this blonde-haired ISB supervisor like walking into the building, and during like this whole scene, they kind of like keep her in a focal point, kind of like uh, we we should be taking note of her, and and then someone gives a briefing about what happened on Ferrix, you know, basically what happened last week uh, or last episode. And how they uncovered a stolen star path unit. And uh, the supervisor, who, uh, her name's Dedra. So I think that's another one of the, like, uh, the, the, they're like, let's call her Debra, but we need to make it Star Wars. Ded- Dedra. Uh, <laughs> and uh, she's played by Denise uh, Go. And uh, she has done a bunch of voice work and video games. Uh, she was in Joe Corn- Cornish's The Kid Who Would Be King. Uh, but she starts nervously typing or looking in uh to her data pad when they mention the star path unit and then um uh meanwhile uh or actually yeah yeah meanwhile uh that imperial inspector who was in charge of uh the ferric stuff reprimands serial serial and uh, his subordinate and sub, subordinate and uh, superior. And not only did he screw this up for himself, his coworkers, but now the system is under permanent in, imperial authority. They're not going to rehire his position. Uh, it, it basically sounds like he screwed things over big time. Uh, but anyways, uh, Dedra needs to get her hands on the star path unit and is going to try to claim jurisdiction, but the request is denied, and uh, she elevates the issue to the major, arguing that she has three previous case files on her desk and believes a pattern is emerging, and this Starpath unit is part of it. It could be an uprising of sorts, a a, a, uh, a group or something. It, it, it's all kind of... Um, she's painting a picture... But what do you guys think is going on here? What what is the deal with the Starpath unit? Like, it, uh, why does she need it so badly? And is she? I feel like I went into this thinking that she was possibly someone working for the rebellion on the inside of the Imperials, but now I'm not so sure. But with her saying that it's like painting a pattern of uh you know maybe this uh rebellious activity yeah i don't oh go ahead no i mean i part of me wonders if it's if there's something that is like on on there whether it's you know data or something that like uh may be incriminating for her or like something that like is that they're missing but no one really knows that they're missing yet and so she's trying to you know uh cut it off at the head before it becomes a bigger issue but wasn't it new in its packaging? That's the thing I don't get. Like, so what would be on there? So the Star Path unit is an ability, like, it, th- think of it, I mean, it's a MacGuffin, right? But think of it as a MacGuffin from, like, a James Bond movie, like a, like an Enigma machine, right? But for Star Paths, for hyperspace routes that the Empire uses, for military purposes and things like that. These are these are things that are going on Imperial Star Destroyers to help them navigate that would that would give the republic or the rebellion a an advantage in that that or or at least take away an advantage that the empire has and i think her interest is purely climbing the ranks of the empire right like steer guard is in her jurisdiction and the star path unit is in her jurisdiction and she's just jockeying to get that together well part of me wonders if maybe she wants it because maybe she's the one responsible for it being lost to begin with and no one knows yet oh but couldn't they also like why would she need the unit for them to not trace the, oh i guess if she's part of the investigate if she's heading up the investigation then they'll never trace it back to her right like that was my that, she, that, that was my yeah. thought yeah 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 no, I, the, those are all good possibilities I, I i don't know which of those is actually the the right one so uh, the major doesn't see enough evidence here and denies her request. And he also gives her kind of a talking to. Uh, 
don't know. Like, what do you think this show wants us to think about her alliance? Like, do, do you think they want us to think that she's possibly working for the rebellion in some way? Or do you think, I don't know, I, I, it's very hard to read. I think the, I think the show wants us to always be questioning every character's loyalty at any given point. The only exception potentially uh, being Andor and maybe Mon Mothma, since we know Mon Mothma's pretty loyal to the rebel cause. But like any, maybe, maybe Cyril too. Yeah, that's true. Um, any, any, I think any new character were meant to immediately wonder if they're like really actually, you know, who they say they are and fighting for what they say they are, or if they're a spy for one side or the other. Yeah, speaking of Cyril, we see him wandering the streets of Coruscant with his briefcases, all sad, defeated. He takes an elevator to a level of what looks to be like a like an apartment complex of sorts. Is, is that what you guys read that this building to be? Yeah, this seemed, mother is. Yeah, this seemed to be where his mom was living, just just a, you know, some typical apartment. Yeah. I didn't I didn't necessarily read that this was Coruscant either. Oh, okay, maybe not. Um and and I mean, it's possible it is, but I just it it the first time I watched it, I felt like it was. And then the second time I was like, no, I don't think it is. I think it's somewhere in the corporate sector um, because he still has to be around to get dressed down for what happened. Yeah. And uh, she slaps him, then hugs him and cries. Uh, I'm sure we'll get more to this, but I, I, I like how they're continuing to give this character depth, even though he seems to be. Do you think he's going to be the main antagonist of the series? He seems like he was set up like that in the first. I think he's going to be one of them. Yeah. But um, it's interesting that like, you know, it'd be very easy to just paint him as a bad guy and like showing him his mom and that interaction. I don't know. it, It makes me wonder if, do you think there's a possibility that, you said earlier that like we we would probably never see him helping the re- rebels like we, we we don't like his loyalty seems very in one place do you think that we're not going to get any redemption for him i mean like from his perspective redemption for what yeah he was trying to do the right thing he got caught up by a corrupt system that that didn't necessarily care about what the right thing was. And I think he's, I think he's the sort who's going to put his shoulder into that, into that situation to make the empire like him again. Yeah. Right. Where he's, he's like, I need to make up for this error. No, I think that's totally what's going to happen. Okay. Let's jump to the other storyline. So Luthen and Cassian land and Aldani, uh, which is another new planet that has not appeared in Star Wars canon before. Is that, that's correct? Yeah. Brian? As, yeah, as far yeah. as I can, as far as my research has told me. Yeah. Uh, mine, mine as well. But your research is deeper than mine. <laughs> uh, Luthen uh, has Andor make uh, an alias for himself. So he's going to be called Clem. If, here's a question I have for you guys. If Luthen trusts this group, this like rebel group that he seems to be like leading from, you know, the the shadows, why is he making Andor construct an alias for himself? I mean, probably just so that if anybody were to be looking for Andor and they heard his name or anything like that mentioned, they wouldn't be able to link him to you know what's going on or easily track him down or anything like that. It's probably it's probably for for his own safety as well as the you know the cause itself. Well, and none of those people can sell him out if they don't know who he really is. Um and I think it's interesting he even though he's supposed to be anonymous, he picks uh his his assumed dad's name. That is interesting. So, uh Luthen gives Andor his necklace as a down payment which you can tell it means a lot to him. You know, he wants it back when it's over. Uh, but, you know, if he doesn't make it, you, he can sell it. Uh, it looks like the other Kyber crystal necklace we saw on Jin Erso in Rogue One, but it's blue. And uh, he gives some information about this. He says it's a, a 
Kwati Signet or something like that? A Kwati Signet, uh, which is, uh, so uh, it's made of Kyber and presumably it's from Kuat, which is another major shipyard for the Empire. Um, but he said that it was uh, a relic of the um, the Rakatan invaders. And in Knights of the Old Republic, in the, the Legends canon, the Rakatan were the first to develop hyperspace and they were sort of... Uh, this marauding band of conquerors that, that took to the hyperspace lanes and just started conquering planets. And so they were, they were very early oppressors in the galaxy. Cool reference that I'm sure Pablo is involved in. Um, so Luthen uh, tries to convince Vel Sarta is her name to take Andor on this mission, but it's, you know, only three days before the rest of the team, uh, are going to go on this mission and the rest of the team have had five months of planning. So, uh, I, yeah, so th- there's a tough, uh, argument here. And I, this character is played by Faye Marseille, who, uh, is yet another character from game of Thrones uh, or n- another actress who <laughs> appeared in game of Thrones. I should say not another character because that would be weird. Um, and, She's kind of dressed in this. I'm not sure how you describe it, but it almost looks inspired by like Native American tribe tribal wear. Is that that inaccurate to say? No, I think that I think that's I think that's definitely um, that's definitely one way to read that. Yeah, it just I mean it felt like a mishmash of like it felt like I kind of got more of like a like a Mongolian shepherd vibe from the whole thing. Oh yeah, yeah, no, that, I could see that as well. Um, so, uh, she's also not happy that he's paying Andor when they've basically been living off scraps for, seems like a long while now. Um, I don't think Andor would even consider joining this rebellion at this point if he knew there, it was all sacrifice for a cause and, and, and no payout. Um, what, uh, <laughs> How do you think he's going to react when he finds out? Well, I mean, I guess they're stealing money. They're stealing credits, right? Well, and and Luthen staked him personally, too. So even if the heist doesn't go well and they don't get the money, like Luthen, he can go he can go after Luthen for the money. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and again, it's amazing how much gravitas Skarsgård ha- brings to this conversation. He's just so good. Uh, Vel tells Andor not to mention Luthen to the group. So what's going on here, guys? The group, Vel is the leader of this group, but apparently the group doesn't know about Luthen. Why is Vel keeping the idea, like keeping Luthen away from this group that's working for her? Like you'd think that you'd want to trust but he's being com- completely kept out of the equation. What, what do you think is going on here? I think part of it's operational security. He does not want this to come back to him. Like, what happens if this comes back to him? He's obviously leading a double life on Coruscant, right? Yeah. Um, if this comes back to him, he's not going to be able to be there at the heart of Imperial City. Yeah, no, that, that makes sense. Um it just seems like for someone who doesn't want it to get come back to him, he seems very active. You know what I mean? He seems very hands-on. Like he's going to all these planets and, and, and doing things. Like it's not like he's just helping from a higher place. He, he seems very hands-on. Yeah. No, I mean this is very much some of the stuff that like um, – it's some of the stuff that like uh, – you see Bail Organa doing quietly right in the background as well. Um, yeah, that's a good point. Um, yeah. Andor was told that he was helping to rob a payroll, but he learns from Val that the plan is actually to rob an armory at the Eldani gar- garrison. Uh, we also learned that the land used to have tons of Eldani settlements, but the Empire drove all the inhabitants south to towns to work in their factories because the planet has basically become a hub for distribution. And uh, the team is surprised to see a new member there. 
surprised probably isn't the right word of it. Uh, they're probably uh, irritated, not not happy. They're, they're not pissed. happy. Yeah, they're, they're pissed. pissed. <laughs> and we we meet the group Skeed, uh, Tamarin, uh, Memek, and Cynthia. I think is how you pronounce all of them. Uh, Val says she trusts him, even though she doesn't even know him. You know, uh, she doesn't say that. Um, and uh, the, the, they claim that basically he was supposed to be part of this originally, and he just like had trouble escaping until now. But that now that he's here, he's part of it. Uh, so the, the seventh member shows up on a speeder bike, and he's also not happy about this addition. He's a lieutenant. Uh, he's their contact at the garrison. And we get the lay of the land here with a miniature model of the garrison. And we get the explanation of how they're going to break in and uh, escape. Cassian doesn't like the whole idea. They only have nine minutes to escape in a freighter. Um, and uh, uh, they explain once every three years, the Aldani gather for a celestial event. Billions of crystals explode when entering the atmosphere. And it looks like from the ground, a ton of meteor showers are filling the sky. Uh, and it will surface their cover. So uh, I wanted to ask you guys, what do, what do you think of this heist plan? It sounds fun. I want to see it play out. And that's, I think... Um, it's like watching those scenes in the Dirty Dozen, right? Where they're plotting the heist and it's like, oh man, how how badly is this going to go wrong? <laughs> and that's really what um, that's really what I want to see. I want to see how this goes wrong. Brad, what are, what are your thoughts on the the heist plan? Yeah, I mean, there's there's plenty of you know entertaining stuff that could happen here with the plan going wrong and with you know this many moving pieces and you know with as as worried as everybody is so yeah this is this sh- this should be pretty dang cool yeah and over a campfire dinner andor is given homework to learn before morning to be part of the team he needs to earn his way onto this team and uh that ends the episode but we still have more to talk about because uh we got to talk about luthan so and, uh, and mon mothma yeah yeah, yeah exactly so yeah. luthan lands in coruscant and transforms himself into some fancy clothes jewelry and wig does, does he put on a wig or is he taking off a wig? I think he puts on a wig. Um, Whichever one is the wig is good enough for me to not know the difference. <laughs> yeah. I I love that there's this moment with him almost like he's getting into character now that he has his, his uniform on. Yeah. So, so my question to you guys is which one is the real him? Oh, I think the one that he's shown Cassian is the real him. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, Uh, that's what I think as well. Uh, So later we see Senator Mon Martha. uh, You keep saying Mon Martha. This isn't Batman versus Superman. No, no, no. Mothma. I I, I just have (laughs) problems pronouncing her name for some reason. Mon Mothma. Um, Visit Luthen's shop. And uh, we have O'Reilly reprising her role as... uh, Mon yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> from Revenge of the Sith, Rogue One, a, a bunch of the. Like, she's also done some of the animated stuff as well. Yeah, she was. She did the voice of Mon Mothma on Star Wars Rebels. Um, yeah, and uh, yeah, no, has has uh, really leaned into the character since getting cut from scenes in Revenge of the Sith. Yeah, she's been playing this character for decades is crazy um so uh we should also mention luthan has this assistant or salesperson named claire who uh serves to entertain and distract um the new driver that's following her who might be a spy and his gallery is filled with historical artifacts from around the galaxy that he you know sells and she's looking for a gift for her husband as part of a Jandrilla custom of sorts. Um, I didn't notice anything, but did either of you guys notice any like interesting artifacts in the background? I'm guessing there isn't any Easter eggs here, but I may as well ask just to see. I didn't. I didn't write any down. 
Um, but my screener copy also had my name in giant letters right across the level of the counter. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I wish people could see what the Disney screeners look like because literally the name is like gigantically across the middle of the screen for the entire uh, show. Uh, but anyways, um, not complaining at all, but it, it is obnoxious compared to other studio screener stuff. Um, Luthen gets Mon Mothma's uh, to the back room where he can discuss business without being heard by the driver. And she's having a problem pulling funds. She's being spied on everywhere. And uh, so I guess we're led to believe that she's been funding the operation until now. And that's the reason why they've been kind of living off scraps because she's been uh, unable to get them more money, more credits. I mean, I think I think that's part of it. But also, like, there's this broader implication that there are two cogs in a much larger movement. Um, and it makes me interested to see who it is that she wants to bring in, because that's the other sort of specter that she drops there. Yeah, what do you guys think about that? Because she wants to bring someone else into the inner circle, or they say, he said circle, but I'm going to say inner circle because I think that's what she's alluding to. And Luthen is not happy about that idea. So, is, is there any theories as to who she it, 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 do you, is? It going to be someone we have heard of before, or is it going to be a completely new character? I think it'll be someone we've heard of before, but I don't think it's going to be Bail Organa, which is what I've kind of heard some people thinking. Um, and and mainly because um, he's already part of that circle. He's already been working on that. He's already been funding that stuff since literally like Order 66. And he he was part of the, that committee with Mon Mothma right in, you know, there's deleted scenes in Revenge of the Sith. Yeah. Um. And while those are deleted scenes that technically aren't canon, they were well, all, they're also in the novel, which is considered canon, except for where it contradicts the movie. Yeah. Um, Brad, do you have any theories on who she could be bringing in? Uh, no, I, I think it's probably going to be a new character. I mean, uh, I feel like it would be you know a little bit of a detriment if they tried to bring in you know another familiar character. So it's got to be someone new. I would say with the Gilroy's involved, it, it really seems like they're going for like new characters and not. Uh, you don't really need to bring in a name from Star Wars canon here. I feel like uh, it's unnecessary at this point, especially when. I mean, we got to assume that we're going to see Bale at some point, right? I think it's a possibility. I think this is. I I, I wonder like. Yeah, I think he's definitely a possibility. I think the cast and crew of the ghost is actually another possibility, too. We had that. Oh, really? Well, yeah. I mean, not anytime soon. But if you go back to watch Rebels, they're the ones who get her out of Coruscant. Um, or they, they help um, get her out of there when she actually goes to join the rebellion. The next time we catch up with her in Rogue One, and this is the the stuff leading up to rogue one. Um, she, uh, she's on Yavin four and they're the ones who deliver her there. Um, and don't forget the ghost. The ghost is on Yavin four as well. And so is general Sindula, who's name dropped in rogue one. And we know these characters are all cast for Ahsoka. Um, it wouldn't surprise me if we saw them in season two, uh, which, on the timeline is more when Mon Mothma has to get out. Yeah. Well, uh, she appeared in rebels in season uh, is starting in season three in an episode called secret cargo. And, uh, I'm guessing. So that would have to be in season two. Cause that would be that according to the timeline of rebels, I think that would be three BBY. Yeah. So that would probably be like, the third or second second or third arc of or the second arc of season two that's interesting though you actually think i think it's a possibility it's a possibility i just feel like uh the uh this this stuff is so f um disconnected from the mandalorian verse and i feel like you know if this was show run by john favreau i, I would i would bet money on it 
or, you know, if Dave Filoni was involved, I'd bet money on it. But I feel like because they're so disconnected, they probably don't share like the same. It's still part of the same universe, though. And those events like it is not anything Tony Gilroy is going to rewrite that the ghost crew helped get Mon Mothma off of out of out of Coruscant and onto Yavin 4. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. uh, We are back at her house, which is very white, um, very beautiful. Uh, she learns that the governor is coming over for dinner. She's not happy about it. The guest list is comprised of people who hate her and have been actively fighting against her in the Senate. And, uh, this and is there's all- some, there's some, there's some Easter eggs in there and all those things. Oh, um, so the governor is the governor of Hannah, which is the capital of Chandrila, the, the planet that she's from. And, um, the two people that she mentions, like these people hate me are Ars Dangor and Sly Moore. Um, Ars Dangor is one of Palpatine's sort of cronies from uh, Return of the Jedi. And Sly Moore was Palpatine's chief of staff. And she was actually in the opera scene with Palpatine. Um, Anakin is Anakin sits down in her chair. Like when Palpatine goes, leave us. Uh-huh. Sly Moore is the one who gets up out of her chair and Anakin sits down in it. By the way, Sly Moore is such a like George Lucas name for oh, yeah. character. Um, but like, <laughs> like Mon Mothma's husband is literally bringing like Palpatine's inner circle to dinner with her, and so knowing that those name drops, it's it's all the more terrifying of that that dangerous game that she's playing and how how much she's being watched. Um, and this scene, this is the scene that made me go, "Oh, he's doing network stuff." Um, Why do you say that? It feels like, you know, that scene in Network with William Holden and his wife, the one where that woman won Best Supporting Actress for, and that was the only scene she was in. Um, <laughs> this felt like, like, it felt like it had that energy to it. You know, that that disillusion of their marriage. And, like, Mon Mothma is having to play a role at home, too, because obviously her husband is one of these assholes, too. Did we ever see her husband before in no, canon? This is, this is a new thing. Yeah, I thought so. And it also seems like uh, they do not get along, although she was buying a gift for him. But I think that was just a cover to see Luthen, right? Like, Yeah. Uh, yeah. So why is she still with him? Um, You know, why, why are any political marriages of convenience kept on longer than they should be? <laughs> Okay, with with that, we've reached the end of this episode. Uh, was there anything I missed that you guys wanted to point out or talk about? I mean, I think um, this episode, like we talked about at the beginning of of this episode, um, is really that that reset into a new arc and a new movie, really. And I think it's better to start looking at these as these little three episode mini movies rather than individual episodes. And every time I've scratched my head with like, Oh, I wonder why they did this. Or I wonder where this is going. I keep thinking to myself, well, we've got two more episodes for the payoff. And that's sort of the, the pattern I think we're going to see for this show. And I, I don't think that's a bad thing. I will say this. The only criticism I have of this episode and maybe this format is and this is a personal taste like i i hope that every three episodes we're not introduced to a new set of characters that we need to like uh that we didn't meet before does that make sense like um yeah i do think i do think this is probably the last episode we're getting a lot of major characters and introduced to because it it takes us to the the coruscant thing um And I think that we're probably we've probably met everybody who's going to be in here for the long haul. At least for this season, you're saying, because second season, we're going to meet a lot of people. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Brad, any any final thoughts? No, I don't think so. You know, with this this episode, you know, it it only uh, got me more on board with the show. And I'm, uh, you know, excited that this new roster of of characters that we have and just to, you know, see see where it all goes, because obviously we know this, you know, this series overall is leading up to Rogue One. But there's there's so much, you know, time to fill and so many things that can that can happen. I'm just uh, I'm curious now. Very curious. 
Yeah, and usually we have a speculation segment to to end the episode, but uh, there isn't a lot to speculate about. We we already speculated on why she wants to be assigned to that Star Path unit case, um, and I think we've kind of uh, come to you know a couple different conclusions on that part. Um, I don't know. I don't know what else there could be to speculate at this point in time. I wonder if we're going to see things with like with those name drops, right? Like, are we going to see Sly Moore on the show? Are we going to see those? Are they going to go? Is that where they're going to go with some of these things? Do you think we're actually going to see that dinner? I don't know. Hmm. I would love to. Awkward dinners in Star Wars have traditionally gone really well for our heroes. Um. We also assume that they're going to pull off this heist, but that could go horribly wrong and, and not. I mean, obviously, they're not going to get caught by the Empire. Like, the, you know, the rebellion would not work if that if that happened. But um, it, it could go either way. We don't we don't know. This is like the, yeah. you know, still the beginning of the season. Yeah. Yeah. So, um well, okay, that brings us to the end of uh, today's Slash Home Daily. You can find more of all of our work at SlashFilm.com. You can find this podcast on Apple, Google, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps. Please feel free to send your feedback, questions, comments, concerns to us at Peter at SlashFilm.com. And please rate and read this podcast on Apple Podcasts. Tell your friends, spread the word, and we'll see you on the next one. For the ones who know safety isn't a catchphrase, it's a culture. And the ones who help make sure everyone makes it home safe. For the safety-minded who watch everyone's backs, Granger offers supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as safety assessments and training to keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Saving money on everything for your next project at Menards. It doesn't matter what job you're up against. Works cordless power tools and lawn equipment have the power for you to get the job done faster and easier. The PowerShare 20-volt batteries run longer on a single charge, and they can be used with other tools. Check out Menards' entire selection of Works cordless power tools and lawn equipment. Plus the weekly flyer today on Menards.com. Save money.